Welcome to the Granary Church Mums and Kids podcast, where we want to have meaningful conversations around parenting, health, education, and creative ways to survive lockdown. We'll be blessed with many special guests, and you'll be lovingly hosted by Mel Attia. Mel is a part of the Granary Church's pastoral staff, has worked as a physiotherapist, and is an amazing mother of four. We pray this resource blesses and encourages you at this time. Welcome to Mums and Kids. I'm Mel and today we are in conversation with Jessica Stokes Parish. Jessica works in health research and education. She's a registered nurse with lots of postgraduate qualifications, including a master's degree and a PhD in medicine. She's passionate about helping people understand health science, creating space for conversations to equip people with the right tools to determine truth from misinformation. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Oh, we're excited to be having you here today. I feel like we should have perhaps called the White House and asked Donald Trump to to come (laughs) on in and listen to the podcast today so he can have some accurate information on health and science, given his um, expertise in inverted commas that we all heard about this week. So So it's a very, um, it's a bit of a different format to what I'm used to. Really looking forward to, um, to what you've got here with us today. We've got uh, so much information at our fingertips at the moment, Jessica. Uh, I mean, between social media, there's so many things we want to read. How do we figure out what's actually a reasonable um, source of information? How did you get into figuring this out into this area? Um, Well, I mean, I think it was a... I've always been very naturally curious. I've always been very inquisitive and always asked questions. I remember... Um, even as a kid when it came to even just Bible study and, and understanding a lot of um, biblical text, I would always want to know why and, and what was the background to it. Uh, and so I guess that that kind of evolved then. I, I moved into becoming a nurse. Um, I was always very passionate about understanding what it was that I was doing. And I I remember when I had my first job, I had this little red notebook that I carried around and I was learning about cancer nursing. And I I wrote down absolutely everything that, you know, I learned. I, I wanted to know, well, what type of cancer does this and what happens when that happens? So, you know, that kind of just propelled me into more education, more learning, and then suddenly found myself doing a PhD, which I I never, ever expected that I would do. Um, But that has given me such an in-depth understanding of how to critique and understand knowledge. And, you know, in our everyday, we are constantly bombarded with information and knowledge. You know, becoming a mum, I never got onto any mums groups on Facebook because I was just so overwhelmed with people shoving their opinions or, or, you know, ways of doing things. And, you know, I just thought, People, people are bombarded with information enough. So what if we gave them the tools to make the decisions for themselves? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because there's no shortage of information. And how do you tell credible in information? Information is packaged beautifully these days. And so how do you actually tell what is good information as opposed to what is really not even worth its, its weight in gold? <laughs> yeah, I mean, marketing these days is so uh, prevalent, isn't it? Mm, it is, it is. So how do, you, um, how do you determine truth from fiction when you're looking at 
information, particularly in the realm of, of science. I mean, there's always scientific stuff being reported, whether it's a new discovery that's going to cure something that we've been battling against, or it's a new supplement that you must be taking now for um, in order to live forever type thing. How do we actually figure out what's true and what is not true? It's a great question. I, I like to think about it in terms of the three C's is what I call it. So you consider the content, you consider the credibility, and you consider the captivation, which kind of alludes to that marketing thing. But if we start first with content, um, it's very good to, I guess, straight away have a look at, well, what is the content? Who, you know, who's putting it out? Is it accurate? Is there a way for you to verify whether it's accurate? Um, does it look like it has a logical way of presenting information? Uh, is it nuanced? You know, because science isn't black and white and there's some things that are very settled in science, but many things are you know, with a bit of a grain of salt here and a bit of a grain of salt there. And so that's a really tricky one because of our, our natural inclination to like certainty. Um, the other things to think about when it comes to content is, you know, is it supported by evidence, peer-reviewed evidence? Can you find linked references to it? I then look at the credibility of the author. And this is a really important one these days with our opportunities in social media. And what I look at there is, um, are there any conflicts of interest? Is this person selling something or are they getting a commission for selling something if they advertise something on their page? You know, what, what are they getting out of it? Sometimes conflicts of interests, um, they're not necessarily financial and sometimes it, it may be profile-related you know, somebody's asked them to promote their work and to say that they're, you know, credible and it's, it's more of a personal conflict um, is kind of how I think about that one. Um, that, and that's really the biggest one with the conflicts of interest. But the other one is qualifications. And um, with access to so much information these days, we can all access the information you know there's no hierarchy of experts so much anymore you know social media has really disrupted the hierarchy um, which I find quite fascinating but there is a difference in qualifications and it's a real tricky one because um, I think most people probably aren't aware that there is a difference in private versus public um, you know tertiary education so whether you get a Bachelor of Health at a private college versus a Bachelor of Health at a university and things like that where the differences are because a public university has an obligation to continue researching and to be held to the highest account and to, you know, they have special accreditations that they have to continue having um, where a private one doesn't have the same kind of um, quality controls and so... So you kind of miss you kind of miss that, and and you can kind of find that the content is filled with personal agendas. Now, obviously, there's nuance around that, as as there is with anything. But I do find that one is a, a good indication. And then the final thing with um, the credibility of the author is considering 
credentials. So not the qualifications, but the credentials. So registered nurse, that's a protected title in Australia. So if anyone else says that without actually having the qualifications, they can be um, held accountable for that. But there's a couple of particular um, names or, or terms, for example, that aren't protected, and that is, say, nutritionist. And that's a really classic example where you can go online and do a three-week course and call yourself a nutritionist. Um, or you could do a full three or four-year Bachelor of Health Science in nutrition, which is obviously a whole different kettle of fish. Um, but it's really hard to navigate that, I think, because you do, you know, we're inclined to trust people and we're inclined to think that when somebody says they are a nutritionist, that they're actually somebody who is degree qualified and has all the right criteria. Yeah. And I'm guessing that most people who go into something health or sciencey are probably going into it at some level <laughs> with a, an agenda of helping people, which at some point in, I guess, can happen anywhere and might get um, waylaid by um, another agenda over time. But, um, so, yes, I think you're, you do genuinely trust people and you don't anticipate that they're deliberately setting out to um, scam you. No, and look, not at all. And I think for the broad majority, they're not actually trying to scam you. Um, but, you know, we'll talk a little bit about how we naturally think as humans and why that is important to understand the credibility because it does influence how we consider somebody um, and how we believe particular beliefs. Um, the final C that I consider is the captivation of the presentation and that's kind of that whole idea of marketing. Um, does it just look whiz-bang but there's no substance to back it up? Um, you know, I'm a sucker for a good graphic. Um, <laughs> you kind of look into it and see that, oh, actually, there's, there's not much there. It's just a, a really nice graphic. But the things you can think about there, like does it motivate you to seek more information or does it refer to other sources? Um, is there space for conversation or is it very extreme and, you know, you must align with this belief? Um, and look, we see that even within spectrums within um, within healthcare, you can see certain views by, by certain health professionals. Like you know, I'm thinking of medicine examples for, um, and and people do adopt personal views, and and they continue with those personal views even if the science doesn't back it up. Um, so, which makes it tricky. But I mean. It, but to me, it just highlights the point. We're all human. Would you would you say that um, when we're looking at content um, at some level, let's, uh, for example, you know, you, you have a, a news bulletin uh, or a newspaper article that's talking about some, um, some science um, advancement. At some level, you've tr you're trusting that this, the, the platform has done that work for you, has done the work of checking out is this credible, is the person making this claim or, you know, um, the sort of person who should be making that claim. Are we wrong to trust those platforms to do a thorough job in 
um, inverting sort of the nonsense from the good stuff? Um, that's a really interesting question. Um, so I've had a variety of experiences with media and one of them has been um, I responded to a media call out for information about hand sanitizer. This is obviously at the start of the COVID stuff. And they said, oh, you know, we want tips on how people should DIY hand sanitizer. And I wrote back a pitch and said, you should not be advocating for this. It's actually not safe to do so. Um, the guidelines, you know, don't, don't recommend it, blah, blah, blah. And they replied immediately and said, thank you so much. We will not run with this story. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I was really, really surprised. Um, but then of course you've got other news sources, which I think are probably more about getting hits and, and getting clicks or getting clicks to advertisements. And so, you know, for them, it's just more about pumping out the content. They don't necessarily care about the quality. I think the other really important thing to point out, which has become really obvious to me over the last few weeks is there's a lot of, um, well, I guess in academics we call it plagiarism, but there's a lot of direct copy and pasting of content on social media, which I, I think is worth noting just as a as a thing for the general public to understand that there's actually people on Instagram, for example, that just cop some content from an online blog from elsewhere and put it straight onto their account, don't credit the other person and provide no backup of information um, but just to be aware of that, that when, you know, I guess when we, like we said, we, we do trust humans, we trust humans and think that they have the right intent, which maybe they do. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on. That's not really trustworthy behavior and is something to be aware of that be, like be a skeptic of what you see, because it may actually just be not legitimate at all yeah yeah so would a red flag i'm thinking of when you're talking about your three c's for content in particular if something is excessively black or white would you generally say that nine times out of ten is a red flag yeah i mean it's definitely a red flag for me to go i'm just going to explore that a little bit more um it doesn't mean that it's wrong but it to me says hang on a minute what's the other what's the other side um this or or does this does this encompass nuance and one of the big things that I love to talk about with people is the social determinants of health which is this whole idea that our health is actually determined by social aspects of life not necessarily so much our diet um, and those kind of things it actually depends on whether we have some education whether we have access to good finances, whether we're in a safe circumstance in our home, those are the things that really contribute to our health. And sometimes I think we get really focused on things that probably don't have that much of an impact on our life. And so sometimes I think with those extreme views or, or something that you perceive to be extreme, because maybe it's not extreme, um, I think it's really good to just take a step back and think, hang on, what's, what's the privilege in this position? Is this something that everyone would have access to or is this something that only someone with access to finance and education and a certain set of circumstances 
would be able to access. And for me, I mean, that's just part of my, I think, part of my faith too is this whole idea of actually things are so much deeper than a black and white assumption of things. And, and I think we get so um, caught up on some of this stuff and you know especially you know how should we how should our kids sleep how should they eat and and all of these things and I think when you take a step back and think about the bigger picture um, there's so much more there you know and I don't know that's just something that's really really is a strong passion of mine yeah yeah Interesting. You talked about understanding the way we think um, in terms of um, how we might tackle um, content in that science and health realm. What did you mean by that? Well, I think it's really interesting. I mean, the human the human brain fascinates me. The way that we learn things, the way that we understand things, it just blows my mind uh, how the mind operates. And one of the things that really strikes me as important to know but just fascinating at the same time is that we all have a bias when we appraise information and what that means is that we process the information that we read and hear with a particular view even if we're unaware of that actually happening so you know I think in Christian circles we probably talk about that as being worldview and um, so I can remember as a child being, you know, taught everyone has different types of worldviews and how they approach the world. But I guess in um, cognitive science, we talk about cognitive biases. And so there's a number of biases that I wanted to just quickly mention because they disrupt our logical ways of thinking. So in a perfect world, we would have an algorithmic way of any sort of interaction and assessment of information but we're human so we don't we have biases that disrupt that and um there's a couple of those one is confirmation bias which is one that probably people have heard before and that is where we believe something or uh, we believe something that confirms our prior beliefs so if you said to me mel that you know the sky is blue after I've just been outside to see that the sky is, is blue and I already believe that, then, you know, I'm going to believe that as opposed to somebody that said, no, no, it's grey because there's already a prior belief there. I already have that embedded in my way of thinking. Um, there's also this concept called the authority bias, so where we tend to place greater weight on the information from an authority figure. So that could very easily be happening precisely in this conversation that we're having you know just the fact that we've said oh Jess has these degrees she's got this experience it builds this authority and so then we think oh well I'll just believe whatever Jess says and um she's you know I'm going to take that she's the expert yeah. yeah so um we tend to take these biases then and not actually explore anything further because our brain can't cope with the volume of information that we have to process, so it creates these shortcuts. And the other interesting one is um, the negativity bias, which is we tend to give greater weight um, of importance to negative information. How interesting is that? <laughs> which is super interesting, isn't it? 
aren't we human oh, though? We do. We often we often remember the negative way more than the positive, yeah. even in our own Christian lives. Yeah. Um, you know, we it's very easy for us to remember when we when we felt um God wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> and how many yeah. times he actually was. Or we think, oh, was that, you know, was that a punishing effect? Or, you know, like you there's a negativity there, which Yeah. Um, and so we think we think that if we hear something negative um, about our health or about you know things related to us, we tend to believe the negative over the positive. Yeah, right. And I've seen that even in my own you know personal health. Um, you know, you you're kind of told, well, maybe you need to think about this, and you you get stuck on, oh, but this is you know this could be really bad, and instead of well, actually, you know, let's just again step back think about the broader perspective what's you know what's what's the actual risk of that happening and then one final one which is the availability bias which is where we we place um greater weight on believing something that comes to mind easily so we we think that whatever comes to mind easily is the truth right so give me an example of that so an example of that is um so if somebody, if, if you say to me, what's the greatest risk to, you know, somebody who lives near the beach, I'll say, oh, the, the sharks, where we know that statistically you've got higher risk of being hit by a car than being bitten by a shark. Um, so you, you have these kind of inherent beliefs around, yeah, what you, what you believe to be truth. And, and if, if you can think of it, then that must be true. Yeah, interesting. So in this current crisis, have you seen things in the media and, and talk of science-related um, information presented well overall? Yeah, I, yeah, no, I have. And I really have. It's been a really, um, a really interesting uh, Thing to watch because there's been a demand for people that are truly experts in their field and I mean I've, I've experienced that too I've done some community campaigns around hand hygiene or social distancing and things like that um, we we saw especially initially when we really didn't understand all of this um, we saw a really high interest in getting public health experts to explain it and and all of that so I think it's you know it, it's reinforced the need I think for health science people you know whether they're scientists or health workers um, to be proactive in the media and to put themselves out there and that's something that we haven't really traditionally done very well we, we like to stick in our labs or stick to what we know and it's kind of a, a curse of being an expert in what you do is you don't feel comfortable to ever step outside of your ex you know and when I say expertise I mean like you feel like you have to have a PhD in everything before you talk about it and which which is a really interesting an interesting dynamic but um yeah, and I think it's you know communicating is always so nuanced. You know, how do you have a conversation with somebody and, and truly take into account what their needs are? Like that's a that's a skill, you know. Yes, it is indeed. So how do how do you do that? How do you have a good conversation with somebody who has a completely polar opposite 
opinion on on a health or science related thing because some of some of these topics can be inflammatory and when you're on the north pole and when you're on the south pole you are literally poles apart and how do you have those or exist and keep friendships and relationships within families going when you have polar opposite opinions at play yeah i think um i think again it comes back to we must acknowledge that we're all human uh, and, and we all have core needs. And many of those core needs are around the, the need to be appreciated, the need to be understood. Um, you know, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, um, and so I think a lot of it, when I drill down on, you know, and I've had some really strong conversations with people that are friends and, and it, it does feel uncomfortable. Um, I think when I look at it, I always try and take the the approach of, well, what is it that this person really wants to be heard about here? Like what is at the core of this for them? And so I think a lot of that comes down to actually asking questions instead of telling people what you think. Um and I learned that a lot as part of my educational teaching. We use a technique um, of debriefing simulations and simulations, you know, very high impact situations, very stressful. You're put on show. People see you make terrible mistakes in a hypothetical situation. And the most powerful moments that I've had have been where you sit there and say, so tell me about that. And they then navigate through this conversation and you then actually get to see their heart and to see what their true intent was. And I find that it's, it comes just back to be curious, be genuinely curious and advocate for that person in the sense of your friendship, you know. You're advocating for the person that you know who they are um, you know that they're a kind person, that they're a generous person. Sure, your beliefs might be differing here and it could be really tense, but, you know, advocate for them by being curious about what is important to them. And if you're comfortable speaking to it, have you had any conversations or thoughts around the COVID safe app that um, the government is putting out. Um, I've had an interesting one today. I've actually put it on my phone because I, I believe it's a good thing, but I, I have had a conversation with someone who works in defence today and the defence department who are very often tell their employees not to put certain apps on their phones have said, yes, this is an, a good app, put it on. Yeah. Look, I don't have the technical expertise to comment on, you know, like I, I know there's been a lot of concerns around safety of information um, and, and of course, there's the discussions on the other side, not so much the safety of information, but it's about, you know, giving up rights. And I know there's many people that feel that this is a giving up of rights. Um, for me personally, it's, this is for the greater good. And so I, I feel comfortable that I'm not handing over any more information than I would in any other situation. I mean, I'm on social media every day. I use online shopping. I use Google Maps. Like Google Maps tells me would I like to start adding a regular drive, you know, like 
Um, and I and I understand, you know, the concerns, um, the underlying concerns. And look, you know, I feel I have a lot of unanswered questions too. But for me, the benefit at this point outweighs the risk. And and I can always opt out if I feel uncomfortable. Later on, more information comes to light that maybe it's not that great. Then I can unenroll. So there's there's no. It's not mandatory, which is a huge thing. And in terms of um, reporting of health um, in our media, do you have any recommended um, sources, so to speak, that you think, yes, these are accurate and they generally report well, they, they get the big picture, they verify their sources and by and large these are trustful, um, trustworthy sources? Yes, that is a great question. My favourite um, source is uh, The Conversation. So The Conversation is an independent organisation that recruits, or doesn't recruit, but it, it resources um, experts to write the content. Um, it's really well vetted and um, it's really easy to read, which I think is the other balance that you have to, have to get. Um, that I really don't follow any other media when it comes to health science. Um, there's been a, there's been a few good ones. So Triple J and ABC are normally pretty good. They're pretty reliable. Um, they tend to be really strong in their journalism, and they seem to, especially their radio as well. They really do prioritise getting direct sources um, for content. And look, there's a number of other, uh, the conversation has a podcast called the Ant Hill series. Um, there's a number of fantastic podcasts out there. Science Versus is another one. The other one is The Body of Evidence. And I share a lot of that through my platforms. Um, mostly, I'm mostly on Instagram and, and, and then I kind of feed it to Facebook. But I share a lot of podcasts or, you know, um, news sources that are reliable um, and you know I think it's it's really yeah I mean sometimes these things change in five or ten years these might not be reliable sources who knows yeah no that's great that's great and so um, any other sort of last minute bits of advice for people who are navigating because I do think a lot of people who are time poor in particular and that that often is is mums <laughs> with little kids um, we're getting this, the sound bites um, on our radio, we're getting the sound bites on TV or the little snippets on um, Instagram or Facebook. So how, how at, a, at a sort of a face value approach to, you know, reading a headline? I think reading a headline, always believe that it's not true. <laughs> no, probably not that extreme, but yeah, always, always have some doubts, always be sceptical um, and then go back to those three main points of go and investigate the content, go and investigate the credibility of the author and go and investigate the, the captivation of the presentation. Um, and I, I think, you know, we've got to understand, you know, it's got to, you've got to make it easy for yourself to work through these things. And so I think the easiest way is to go look, I, I'm going to doubt that that's true. Now go and look it up and investigate a bit more. And, and touch base with a friend, like if you've got somebody that works in healthcare or that you feel comfortable to discuss these things with, they can help you, you know, 
build the confidence to decide on these things for yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Well, thanks, Jessica. Thank you for being with us today. That was exceptionally useful. And, um, yeah, hopefully it will help us to become more discerning sort of end unit users of, of health information. And, um, yeah, thanks for being with us today. And we look forward to uh, having you all back to the Mums and Kids podcast next week. Thanks for listening today. If you found this podcast helpful, why not subscribe or share it with someone you know? If you'd like help, advice or encouragement in parenting, please contact the Granary Church at granary.org.au.